This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Tuesday morning. Welcome back, everybody, from the holiday weekend. We're back live here, and I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I am Tara Carter from Clovis, New Mexico, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for May 28th, episode 2190. This episode is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. Good Tuesday morning to you, and I do mean a good Tuesday morning. Well, if you insist on being accurate about it. You know, only somebody with perfect comedic timing could produce this much energy in one shot. You gotta learn that your time in the saddle ain't as rough as a life in between. And the fence isn't there for you to straddle. And you can't change horses in the middle of... And coming up on today's show, Anna Morrison is going to stop by, and she's going to bring us up to speed on what the AQHA is up to both here in the U.S. and all over the world. And then Kevin Howell's going to stop by and introduce us to the Elite Collection, as if we needed another place to shop. I'm so excited. And all of this is going to happen with an assist from one Lindsay Fitch. Welcome to the show, and stay tuned for the fight, folks. Thank you, Jennifer. Well, before we get into the meat of the show here today, I just wanted to give our best to everybody who was affected by the storms over the weekend. Tara, did you get any of them in in New Mexico? We had some storms. There were some tornadoes around us, but we weren't hit near as hard as as some other parts of the states. God, Indiana and Oklahoma, just about, for those that were asking, about 40 miles from Jamie's house. Um, and then Ohio last night got it really bad. Uh, some tornadoes hit uh, in the Dayton area and around all, all different parts of Ohio. There are 5 million people without power in Ohio this morning. I know we have a lot of listeners there who are not listening right now, but uh, if you listen to this later, we're sending you our best. Apparently, there were so many tornadoes popping up in the one storm near Dayton that they were crisscrossing each other's paths. So it was is pretty bad from the from the looks of it this morning, and we're just giving our best to everybody out there. I know there's a lot of horse people in Ohio, uh, big quarter horse country up there. So, yeah. um, God, it's been a wild year already, and uh, we're th- we're thinking about all of you. Well, you're gonna introduce somebody right now, aren't you? I am. We're going to welcome Lindsay Fitch to join us this morning. Uh, Lindsay's from Boulder. We've known each other several years. And she's just an all all around horsewoman. She's uh, ridden in dressage at the highest level. Um, she is, or highest level for me. And uh, she does jumping. She competes with us in ranch horse. She's the daughter of a vet. So she's an instructor. I mean, you just name it. Lindsay has got a ton of experience in the horse world. Plus, she's a ton of fun to be around and a ton of fun to visit with. So welcome this morning, Lindsay. Good morning, Tara. Good morning, Glenn. Thanks for having me on today. Did you say Boulder, Colorado? Is that what you said? Boulder. Yeah? Right? Did I say that right? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Boulder, Colorado. We actually live closer to Longmont, but all the same area here. That's a really ugly place to live out there. 
it is. It's just horrible. Yeah, no views there at all. <laughs> yeah, we're we're pretty darn fortunate to have such a nice view, and um, yeah, we love it here. So it's pretty great. We try to get her to come to Clovis all the time. And then when she comes, like the wind and the dirt blows, she's like, I think I'll see y'all later. Yeah, I'm going, going back, back to Colorado. Back. It's pretty there. <laughs> yeah. It's dirty and disgusting yeah. here. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, 35, 35 mile an hour sustained winds for three weeks in a row. That'll that'll really test a person's will. <laughs> uh, we just It's so funny. We've had lots of different people come in and ride and... And anyway, we had somebody come in not too long ago. Another guy, Clayton, that works with us, he's like, oh, yeah, that person that came in, I could tell they didn't have it. Now, you know that, Lindsay? She has it. She brings in all her layers and her sunscreen. And <laughs> so he was complimenting Lindsay's stick to for when it comes to working horses, no matter what. Well, it, it does make it always fun because Tara and uh, Trevor will joke about having to wear goggles for the wind and that's no joke like that's real life that goes on there and then we'll be riding horses out in the pastures and it always makes it exciting when you're riding young horses that you have a huge tumbleweed come across at 40 miles an hour it's a good (laughs) test of your horsemanship that's for sure tell us about your farm uh so i'm really fortunate i got to grow up here with my dad and he's an equine veterinarian And we just have a small farm here that's about 20 acres where we raise our own hay. And we have um, about eight or nine horses and growing a little bit. (laughs) Um, And then my dad's main passion is team roping and overall just learning everything he can about horses, no matter um, if it's learning something new about shoeing or vet practice or training methods, um, he's just really cool that way that he's really invested in learning something new every day from somebody that he can um, gain more knowledge about horses and experience to add to to his. So I just grew up here riding with him a lot. And um, I think one of my favorite stories he tells about me is when he used to warm up in the arena to rope when I was really little, I would stand on the back of his saddle and I'd hold onto his shoulders while he would lope his horses and get ready to rope and, you know, stand on the back of his saddle while we brought up cows. And, um, you know, I always had my pony. He always had my pony ready and I got to just ride a lot and just have a lot of fun of going here and going there and, um, going as fast as I wanted to go and doing the things I wanted to do. And he just did a wonderful job of helping build my confidence and my love for horses at a really young age. When, and what about you? Do you team rope? I, well, I'm kind of funny as you described me in the intro as I've dabbled in a little bit of everything, just trying to find what my passion is with horses Um, so my dad has a really good friend who is a professional team roper in the PRCA and has won a few world titles and been to the NFR more times than you can count and different things. So he's the one that, um, I learned how to rope with, but I'm, I'm very low numbered roper and competitor, but I do rope some here at the house with my dad and, uh, locally around at our other friends' houses that will travel around and rope. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a super fun sport to be able to do it with family and friends. You don't get that opportunity in all the horse disciplines that are out there, and it's just a fun 
it's a fun camaraderie. Like I just have always appreciated the community and everybody's joking and giving everybody a bad time in the best kind of ways. And, um, yeah, it's just super fun that you can rope with your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your cousin or your best friend or your spouse. It it makes it pretty fun to be able to do that. Okay, but I have a question. Where does this where does this dressage saddle I see you riding in on your Facebook page come in? Because that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the family. Yeah, so when I was also growing up, I was obsessed with jumping horses. So and and English horses. So anytime my dad would have a client with jumping horses, I would always want to go on those calls and I would just be glued to the fence and, um, wanted to do that. So I had a little POA pony who was, you know, really thick, crusty necked and just had maybe like half an inch of just barely like, you know, little spindly hairs for a mane and a tail that didn't go below his hocks and one little thumbprint on his, on his bum. (laughs) And, um, but he could really jump. He could jump three feet really easily. He was really athletic. And um, my dad broke him to drive, actually, when we were starting him because he was a bit too much horse for me when I was young. And so my dad put a lot of time on him. And uh, I just got really interested in jumping and, and dressage. And I just really kind of like ran with that for a while and wanted to learn a lot more about it. And I spent some time working for a lady very shortly down in Wellington who was an amateur rider at the time wanting to go open and had had and probably still has um, aspirations for Olympic level competitive dreams and goals. And um, so that was really fun to be able to go down and just be around some of the uh, top trainers and just, you know, see how they train and how they do it and um, be around some world class horses and Uh, just learn a little bit more about that. And I had the really wonderful opportunity to be able to ride with Walter Zettel. And I still, I still think of him daily. He's, um, he's a lot of his lessons have really carried over with me and all my horse disciplines that I work with. So that was a really great opportunity. Yeah. You didn't start at the bottom with that one. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I always joke because the first time I ever rode with Walter, I was riding a horse that I had never actually ridden. Uh, So I got kind of like thrown in the mix with that. And then she had a lot of um, trouble with the bit and was highly sensitive. I think this is a horse actually Tara had spent some time riding prior to me as well. And, you know, so I'm like riding along and the like most beautiful thing about riding with Walter was like, he truly did ride the horses through you. Like, so if you could just do a really good job of listening and doing exactly what he told you to do, you could feel some really amazing things because he was riding through you. And, you know, at one point he's like, excuse me, my dear, I must go use the restroom, (laughs) you know? And at this point he was, he was not super mobile. So he's like using his cane and he takes a while to get from the arena all the way into the barn, go use the restroom. (laughs) And so, you know, like, I'm like, he's like, just keep practicing. You're doing great, my dear. So I'm, (laughs) I'm going along and, you know, I'm like, one lap around the arena, right? I'm like, everything just falls apart. Cause I really have no idea what I'm doing at this point <laughs> when I'm riding with him, I'm just doing what he tells me to do. So, you know, it just like completely within a minute's time, just 
completely falls apart. So I just go back to walking on the loose rein and I, I waited for him to get back and he's like, how did it go? <laughs> and I was like, um, I, I thought I should give her a break while you were gone because it was going to go better when you came back and he just chuckled away. And, um, so, you know, I just, I really adored being able to have the opportunity to ride with him because it was really special. I don't know if this is the same horse, but if it is, it's the same horse I got thrown into it with a lesson with him. I was supposed to go watch the lesson first so I could see what it was about. And then someone had to cancel their lesson. So they said, Oh no, you're going to go and you're going to ride this horse. And at the end of my lesson, I thought, Oh my gosh, I've made like the worst impression I could have ever possibly made on this guy. And he says to me, that horse, she said little crazy. And I thought, (laughs) I was so relieved. I was just so relieved. uh yeah yeah same horse <laughs> yeah yeah okay I thought it might have been. so um yeah what other areas have you what other disciplines have you spent time riding in when i say spent time i know that it's not like you tried it for a weekend like you you whenever Lindsay goes to learn something she commits to to probably multiple years getting better at it and then continues to get better at it when opportunities arrive so what other areas have you do you spend time? Um, so I've spent quite a bit of time with Tara and her husband learning about the ranch horse versatility and just starting to dabble and learn a little bit more about the um, cow horse and the NRCHA. Uh, so that's been super fun. I took a horse, let's see, what was it, last year, who was just a great horse that we had gotten that some clients and my dad felt that he was dangerous and needed to be rehomed. And we roped on him and trail rode him and I gave him, gave a bunch of lessons on him. He was, um, he's just a super gentle, kind horse. And he's a little grade horse that I took and competed at my first ranch horse versatility. Not my first one, but, um, my first successful one, I should say, uh, last year with Tara and, um, I want to check on him. So that was super fun to be able to do that because, um, it was just really fun to be able to like, you know, work a cow and go down and stop him on the fence and rope him. And, you know, it was very, um, you know, it wasn't, I would say like super high skilled, (laughs) um, but it certainly was super fun and it was super rewarding. And I just love the purpose that cows really, um, give you. And just the responsibility that they really cause us to have in our horse. Uh, And I just love that it's like real life application. Um, You have to use those skills if you're out on a ranch or out on a farm and you're using them. Um, So that's pretty neat. um, I've done a little bit of jumping. Last year I showed with a trainer who I work with right now. Um, and I showed in some of the lower level classes in a hunter class with a thoroughbred horse I had in for training. Um, I've done, let's see what else. And then I guess a couple weeks ago, kind of a fun story is we had some neighbors call. They had gotten new cattle in and one got out and she was really, really hot and really mad and jumped a bunch of fences and she actually made it five or six miles down the road from their place to the cow the, jumped one of the fences. Main, and she <laughs> yeah. did. Um, and she made it to the interstate here on I 25 in Colorado. 
And they called us and we're like, we really need help to come and get this wild cow rope because we have police officers lined on the roads trying to keep her <laughs> off the interstate. Jeez. And, uh, so my dad and I went out and we trailed her for probably three or four miles. And she continued to just, she jumped through some canals and she jumped through more fences and we played a ring around. You need Rosie to put a saddle on yard. that one. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I, I ended up getting her caught right. Uh, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred feet from the interstate and there was only one fence left and she would have been on the interstate and we got her roped and under control and, um, you know, she was thankful, and we were thankful, and I think the police officers were. Did really you get thankful, the lo- so. on the local news? Were you on the local news? <laughs> uh, we weren't, but it was really funny because I posted it on my Instagram, and I had tons of people that messaged me, and some of the other folks put it on their Facebook, and tons of people messaged that we know that said we saw that we were driving by. We didn't know that was you guys. (laughs) We saw you jumping fences on your Western pony and then rope a cow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and we, you know, my dad and I, we really, we, we watched some of Dale Brisby's stuff because we just think he's super funny. And so my dad was teasing me about being a super puncher. And one of my other best friends was like, Oh my gosh, my best friend, she's a super puncher. This is amazing. (laughs) So that's been kind of the running joke after that's happened. So I really think you ought to saddle the cow though. Uh, There's potential there. (laughs) I can see it in the hunter ring now. Can't you Tara see her in the hunter ring with the cow? Yeah, Um, yeah, I can't. (laughs) No, no, I really can't. I was thinking this is more like the Western version of fox hunting. Like, yeah, there you go. (laughs) Well, I just saw there's like a video that's pretty well known, I think, on Facebook and YouTube of a young girl who couldn't have a horse, but she has a cow and she jumps the cow. Like, she taught the cow to jump like a horse and rides it and everything. There's one over here, and then there's one in Europe too that, that she she actually goes to little shows with her cow. Um, yeah, <laughs> does jumping incredible? Yeah. Uh, what and what else? I think you've done what for sure. One other discipline that I know of. Uh, let's see. I've done a little dressage. I've done some jumping. Uh, I've done some cows. I've done team roping. Um, I I don't know what I'm missing. Can you help me? Oh well, maybe you didn't do it for very long. But barrel racing, you like won some money. Oh yeah. Um, I, I did, you know, I just, I thought that was going to be super, it it is very interesting to me. Like, I think it's just super fascinating that, you know, the fastest pattern really wins. And so Tara and I actually went down and took a Charmaine James clinic one time in Grand Junction and that was pretty neat. And then, um, I just took my little, the same little buckskin pony I have that I roped the wild cow on. Um, I took him just to our like little local state fair, um, kind of like Jim Connor barrel race. Uh, and I, d- I did, I won a few, I pulled like, I think a $7 check, <laughs> um, <laughs> in the, in the barrel race on him and, and in the polls and some different things. So yeah, those speed events are, would certainly be fun. Um, he, that's not quite his discipline, but he is patterned really well and he, um, he likes doing it. It's, it's nice to just feel a horse that no matter what discipline you're doing, that they really love their job and they just really like crave it and they want to do it. I think that's the, 
part that I love the most about horses in general, no matter what discipline you're in. And when you really find that discipline that they really love, um, I just love feeling that in a horse where they're like, yeah, let's do this together. This is, this is fun. Let's do it. So that's one of the reasons that, um, we asked Lindsay if she would come on the show is when Glenn asked about the Western episode and a lot of the auditors said that they would love to learn more about switching from English to Western and the different disciplines. And so we thought, man, it would be a natural fit to ask Lindsay to come on and join us and co-host with this because she has such a, a wide experience in a lot of these different disciplines um, and frequently is either writing English or writing Western and uh, really isn't trying to just dabble in those areas. She's really trying to take it to the next level every time she does. So, um, so that's, we're glad that you could join us for this, Lindsay, and uh, we're excited to spend the rest of today with you and ask questions of a few of the rest of our guests today. So, But before we get to that, let's uh, talk about horseware. Most of us are aware that insects are drawn to certain odors and repelled by others. Recent studies have discovered that they respond the same way to certain colors, and in turn, their behavior can be influenced by color. Insects are naturally attracted to bright colors such as yellow, white, or dark. And that is especially true of love bugs in Florida. However, colors like (laughs) light green or aqua mixed with orange won't register when seen in the UV spectrum, deterring insects away from those color combinations. This is a natural deterrent in itself. The Amigo Evolution's latest color technology research has resulted in a leading product at the forefront of insect repellent technology. The Evolution is made from soft, absorbent, knitted, strong polyester net, which provides for maximum breathability and the light color offers some sun reflecting properties. It features a disc front closure with a sure fit neck design, a seamless design with integrated neck cover, leg arches, three straight sur signals and a belly flap with velcro closures for full belly coverage. A silky mane, shoulder lining to prevent rubbing and lastly a supersized tail flap with a silky lining. It's available in aqua and orange in sizes 60 through 84. Find the evolution at your local authorized horseware retailer or online at horseware.com today. All right, you guys had a chance to catch up with your first guest the other day. She wasn't available this morning, so let's take a listen to that. We're thrilled to have Dr. Anna Morrison join us today. She is the Chief International Officer and Chief Foundation Officer of the American Quarter Horse Foundation. And she's going to join us to answer some questions and discuss her work with AQHA and Life in the Saddle. So welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for asking me to join. I'm really thrilled to be able to visit with you about the association and the foundation and horses in general, because that's what we're all wild about, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So tell us a little bit about your position and what you do for AQHA. Absolutely. So I joined uh, the American Quarter Horse Association in January of 2017 as the Chief International Officer. And in that capacity, I oversee our international programming. We do business in about 100 countries around the world, and we have affiliate organizations in 36 international countries. We serve um, a little over 30,000 international members. And so we have a a really great opportunity to help to expand our international markets, provide educational support for horsemen around the world, and help to create some really meaningful opportunities for our international members to enjoy their American quarter horses. 
Lindsay and I were talking a little bit about this earlier and kind of what, what does it look like for a quarter horse in Australia or what does it look like for a quarter horse in Europe or in South America? What, what sports are popular there? I feel like for the most part we go, Oh, Europe, there's a lot of raining, but what are there really some particular sports that seem more popular in certain countries or are you working really hard to grow that as a whole? No, I think you bring up a really um, great point, and that's that one of the coolest things about our international market is that it really does highlight the versatility of the American quarter horse. You know, we get pretty accustomed to the sports that we see uh, the American quarter horse compete in in the United States, whether that be kind of our traditional all-around classes or some of the Western performance disciplines like cutting and reining or racing or ranch horse events. And certainly, American Quarter Horses compete in all of those types of events uh, outside of the U.S. as well. But we do have some pretty unique events that the American Quarter Horse is used in in some other parts of the world. Um, in Brazil, we see Quarter Horses used commonly in the sport of vacajada. Uh, in Australia, Quarter Horses are used in the sport of camp drafting. And we've really seen uh, some unique ways that our members around the world have taken American Quarter Horse Association core classes and modified them to fit the needs of their citizens. Um, as an example, in Japan, we've approved a timed trail event, which does take our trail class, which is typically a little bit slower, and speed it up and make it maybe a bit more exciting for our membership there. So we love to see the, the way that the American Quarter Horse fits into a variety of cultures and a variety of needs. And it's uh, also really exciting to see the way that the American Quarter Horse can be a great partner in ranching programs and livestock programs on multiple continents um, with different species and different styles of, of animal management. So what is, the, what is the name of the sport that you said in the beginning? Uh, the cannot... sport in Brazil is vacajada. And what is that? So vacajada is a pretty um, interesting sport where uh, a person that's horseback basically uh, hazes or runs alongside of a bull and then uh, uses that bull's tail to basically pull oh. them off balance and, um, and take them uh, down to their side. Okay. So a, a version of roping if you had to, to, to yeah, help. Yeah. But with no rope. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I wasn't going to dare repeat the way you said it. You did it so very well. Okay. <laughs> Got well, it. You'll so have now, to ask our Brazilian audience if I'm saying it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounded good to me. So now do you have, do we have offices, AQHA have offices in those countries or do they report back to, you know, stateside? Yeah, that's an, that's another really excellent question. Um, we don't have offices anywhere other than Amarillo, Texas. So we serve our global market right here from the headquarters in Amarillo. Now, in the countries where we have affiliate organizations, you can look at these uh, comparably to the state affiliates that we have in the United States. So, for example, Texas Quarter Horse Association has its own office. It is its own independent business and is affiliated with AQHA but it doesn't conduct business on behalf of AQHA. That would be um, the same way that our international affiliates work. They're their own independent organizations. 
They do um, work that serves their local membership, but they don't process AQHA work on our behalf, though they often work really hard in conjunction with us to help make it easier for our members to do business with us. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. So do you travel to all of these countries? I mean, how often are you traveling as chief international officer? Well, I actually live in DFW. No, I don't live in the airport. Um, It sometimes feels like it though. You know, we work really hard to try to make contact with all of our affiliate organizations because um, there really is no replacement for being on site and being immersed in that culture and seeing the way that horses are being used in those countries. So uh, when I first started with AQHA, I was the only um, person in the international department that was doing that affiliate contact travel. And since then, we've been able to hire some really outstanding team members that help to share that burden. And we're able to work really closely with a lot of wonderful AQHA professional horsemen to go and do seminars and educational clinics, which helps us um, expand our reach when we can't make it to every country. Now, I know at some point you made it over to the Mongol Derby and the Horses in the Morning and Horse Radio Network, they do some pretty extensive coverage, I would say, of the Mongol Derby from from all the way over here. What was that experience like? Did you ever think AQHA would take you that route? That was a really wild experience. Um, Of course, as you are aware, I'm sure, uh, Brooke Wharton, who is a longtime AQHA member, um, quarter horse owner, breeder, competitor, um, and new member of the AQHA International Committee, was one of the competitors in the Mongol Derby that year. And she did work really hard to try to convince me to compete alongside (laughs) her. Um, However, I value my life. And she showed me a lot of videos of the competitors being bucked down and stomped on and broken. And I thought, you know, that might not be for me. So instead, I um, promised her that I would meet her at the finish line and make sure that if she suffered those injuries, that I could get her back to uh, the medical system here. But she didn't need my help at all. She had a great plan for her race, um, was the first competitor to cross the finish line without any veterinary penalties, um, wound up tying for sixth overall. And uh, I think her only injury was a little bit of sunburn or windburn. So she did a great job. Yeah, that's really impressive. So what, what's one of your favorite places that you've traveled? Oh, goodness. You know, I really enjoy every place that I've been. Um, Each country brings a little bit of a different flavor, um, quite literally, with cuisine and um, (laughs) a little bit different customs. And, you know, I've got a fondness for Germany, uh, which I've traveled to since I was an undergraduate student. I love traveling to Argentina and um, becoming immersed in their gaucho culture culture there. So really, I don't think there's a bad place to go, especially when you're meeting up with horsemen. Yeah, that's right. So now on top of that, you also are uh, the chief officer of the American Quarter Horse Foundation. And what's the mission of the American Quarter Horse Foundation? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked about that. I I stepped into that role uh, about six months after joining AQHA and am thrilled to be a part of the team that leads our charitable efforts there. Um, The mission of the foundation is really to uh, connect 
the charitable intent of uh, horse enthusiasts and particularly American quarter horse enthusiasts um, with the charitable programming that we enact in the industry, which includes scholarships, uh, support for equine research, support for equine assisted activities and therapies, and then, of course, recognition and support of our heritage through the American Quarter Horse Hall of Fame and Museum here in Amarillo. So is there is there a project that you're working on with the foundation that you're particularly excited about? Yes, actually. Um, we started a new program this year thanks to some generous support from the Dogwood Foundation. Uh, it's a program that's designed to create a space for young adult leadership in the association. So I think, you know, we have a really strong youth program here. Um, We're really lucky to have folks like Katie Reynolds and JC Hammer here to support our youth efforts. Uh, But often we see that there's a drop-off in participation with the association after uh, our youth graduate out of that age division. And that makes sense when you think about it. I mean, that's a time in our lives when we're focusing on education or career or family. And it's also a time um, where you don't see a lot of folks in that age bracket in leadership roles in most uh, associations. We tend to see folks that are maybe in their um, 40s and 50s and beyond assuming the the leadership, leadership roles in these membership organizations. So the goal of this program, which is called AQH LEAD, is to create a development program where we're really focusing on making a space for those young adults to have a leadership voice, a continued leadership voice in the association. And we're doing this by pairing them with, uh, with association mentors. So these are members who are currently serving as chairman of our standing committees. And these AQH lead participants get to partner with them over the year to be active uh, participants in the governance of the association. And it's been in place since uh, our convention in March. We've had uh, two of our monthly conference calls. We've partnered everyone with their mentors. And thus far, it seems to be a really positive program. And we're excited to say that the Dogwood Foundation has agreed to support the program for a second year. So we will have um, at least one more year of the AQH LEAD program. Though I just said that's super. We actually had Ty on, uh, Ty Cornelius, I don't know, a few shows ago, talking about how he was going to be a part of the LEAD program. Yes, that's exactly right. Of course, Ty is one of our um, AQHYA past presidents, and he is now a part of the inaugural AQH LEAD class and certainly a, a shining example of the sort of individual that we hope to foster into a continued leadership role in the association. Those sound like a lot of amazing programs that you've helped develop and bring along and are continuing to uh, develop and bring out into the community, not only just for AQHA, just for the horse lovers of uh, those of us that love quarter horses, but just all over the world, too. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became so passionate about designing programs and teaching and your higher education? Like, who really... Um, started that passion in you or where did that passion come from in you long before you made it into this role? Sure, absolutely. So um, I can say that my passion for horses was kind of innate. It was just in me. I didn't really come from a horse family, uh, but I knew early on that I was a horse crazy person. 
Uh, and so I was really lucky to be supported in pursuing that interest by my family. And um, when I found out that there were schools that you could go to to study horses, uh, I was all over it. So I discovered Colorado State University and went um, to CSU in Fort Collins, Colorado, uh, as a part of the equine science program for my undergraduate degree. And it was during my time there that I, I both kind of discovered my interest in education and program development and met one of the most influential mentors in my life and my career path uh, in Dr. Jim Hurd. And so Dr. Hurd was a huge part of my undergraduate and graduate experience at Colorado State. And then later, um, after I'd started my career, uh, he actually hired me back to work for him at Colorado State. I had the chance to um, follow him to Texas A&M University, where I uh, earned my PhD focusing on higher education and philanthropy, and really absolutely credit him for giving me the opportunity to become engaged in the industry. He encouraged me to become active in AQHA on the marketing and membership committee. I had the chance to serve as chairperson of that committee before getting hired by AQHA, and uh, I think that really with his uh, encouragement and guidance, I think that's a, a huge part of what helped me to um, enjoy the, the opportunities I've had to be able to impact our industry through education and program development. But really, you know, ultimately anyone that gets to be in a service role in this organization or this industry is really lucky because we're just working on behalf of our membership who are passionate about their horses and excited about their opportunity to breed and raise and train and compete on these really remarkable animals. And since you've had so much involvement with, with teaching and um, progressing your enthusiasm for horses and just really making sure that there's a lot of programs that can help progress that in a lot of other people in our community, not only in the United States, but all over the world, um, what do you find is your most rewarding, what's the most rewarding for you when you're teaching somebody or when you're setting up these programs and you start seeing the success? What are the things that are the payoffs for you? You know, I think whether you're talking about, you know, education in general or education around horses, the payoff is always when you see somebody um, get excited about about their knowledge growing or gain confidence in their abilities. And then when it comes to connecting that to horses, to see their ability to enjoy um, their horses in a different way because they've grown their knowledge. Uh, I think that's what's really exciting is to see how you can impact somebody else's ability to grow and be excited about what's in front of them. Do you have an example of a story that you could share with us where you got to see some of that ex excitement either when you were teaching someone or one of the programs that you had helped design created that excitement and just that's been a long-lasting story that's been on your heart and your mind seeing that excitement and that impact carry forward? Sure, absolutely. So, um, both when I was teaching at Colorado State and at Texas A&M, I had the chance to teach a sales management course. So this was a, a class that was um, essentially a learning opportunity for students to manage and execute a horse sale. And 
what was so fun about that is that we really ran it as if we were a sales management company. So it wasn't um, a setting so much where students would come in and I would just lecture to them on topics, but we, we treated it as if we were a small company. So we would come into a class session and we'd sit around a conference table and we would delegate responsibility or give updates on the areas of responsibility that each student had. Um, we'd have, you know, accountability to each other as a team for progressing this event. And that was always one of the most exciting teaching opportunities because the confidence of those students grew so much from the beginning of that class to the end of the class. In the beginning, where perhaps they didn't know anything about a horse sale, to the end where they had the sense of accomplishment that they were part of a very small team that put on a really successful industry event. Um, that sort of kind of safe place to exercise those skill sets gives those students a chance to go into their career paths with some proven skills um, and some proven ability to uh, perform in a professional environment. And that's a great way to build confidence before going out into the industry. That sounds so there, just like an awesome thing. I wish I would have been able to have done more of that in my schooling. That sounds like a great opportunity. Yeah. Since you're also a, a competitor in a lot of the AQHA events, particularly the ranch horse versatility and now the cow horse, from what I understand, do you feel like um, based upon the kinds of programs that you have helped design students, do you feel that you competing in the industry also helps give you a really positive platform and feedback to take back to your role in AQHA for how to improve their, their program and what we could, what they could do better to offer the members. Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunity to own some really outstanding horses and uh, compete on them. Of course, I can't compete in AQHA classes anymore. um, But having had those experiences as an AQHA exhibitor and continuing to compete in um, NRCHA events, I think is really important in, in a number of capacities. And the most important one is to keep me connected to the reason we're all in this. And that's because we love horses and we want to enjoy our horses and we want to be proud of the horses that we've bred and raised and compete on. And at the end of the day, you know, when we're trying to do our business processes here at AQHA, when we're trying to get horses registered and get a registration certificate out into the hands of, of an owner, it's really not about that paper. It's about that owner's ability to go and use that horse and enjoy that horse And so I think the more connected you are to that industry um, yourself, the more you can understand the experience that our customers have. And it it sounds like you're doing some amazing things. And the fact that you're juggling all of that internationally and domestically and helping those who are new, new to horses, experienced with horses and have a heritage in horses, it really shows sort of the the full circle of the work that you're doing. Um, and we really appreciate you taking the time to come and, and tell us about a lot of the things that sometimes we maybe don't always know um, that AQHA is doing. Is there anything exciting on the horizon that AQHA is working on for its members? Yes, absolutely. Um, 
And I appreciate your really kind words, but I do want to point out that I am just one of, you know, literally hundreds of employees at AQHA that are all working their hardest to keep our um, business moving forward and to keep focusing on doing better work for our customers. And we are so lucky to be led by an individual like Craig Huffines, who um, is really a visionary and is really focused on helping drive our business forward. I think um, most all of our members know that we are in the midst of a technology transformation and that we're having uh, our fair share of growing pains and bumps in the road because of that. But I'm excited uh, about the way that the leadership team is pulling together to really stay focused on the problems we're having so that we can resolve those because the focus that we always want to have is on making sure that we are making it easier for our customers to do business with us. And so while we're experiencing some challenges right now, that's definitely what is driving each of our decisions every day in this organization. And we are excited to get to a point where the bumps in the road with this new system smooth out and we can start to enact some of the next step improvements that we've identified. Um, when we were at convention, we were able to preview some prototypes for a member dashboard that uh, gives our members a totally different way to view information about the horses that are in their ownership or that have been in their ownership. Um, different ways to view registration certificates online, which makes it a lot easier to get you know, immediate access to your horse's information. So what we're going through today is challenging and it's painful. It's painful for our members and painful for us. But what's on the other side, I think, is going to be incredibly exciting. And it's going to be um, really a, a new era for AQHA and our ability to provide and deliver on a really positive experience for our members. Yeah. My, my aunt is a nurse and she actually was hired by a couple of different hospitals to come in and help them manage their data transition and their technology transition. And just knowing from an inside perspective, how much that takes and how hard it is. But on the other side, once you have it, you know, that sort of goes away, uh, the, the pain because you realize some of the, the great benefits. So, uh, it, I'm sure it can be hard, but it, it's great to know that you have people who are working really hard to make it really be beneficial for members. So, um, I, uh, we, Lindsay and I like to wrap up sometimes we we're talking about some questions. So we're going to ask you a final question, just a fun little question. Uh, okay. what is your favorite piece of tech? Oh, gosh, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Like it could be like, oh, it's an artist piece or, you know, it was handed down or, oh, it's the most effective piece, but. No, I mean, this is probably the most boring answer. I get to you know, the opportunity to use a lot of really beautiful tack um, and equipment, but my favorite piece always are my worn in comfortable boots, my work boots that I ride in every time. I mean, you put them on and they just fit like a glove and you know you're heading out to get horseback and that's just the best feeling in the world um, is being horseback. So that's that's the first step in getting there. Good. And where's your favorite place to ride? My favorite place to ride is down at the Four Sixes Ranch. Um, I know when I can get away there and have a weekend to go ride down there, it's um, just a beautiful place. It's a happy place. Um, get to see the mares and babies out in the fields and that's my favorite place to go. 
Very good. Well, when you're not doing that, where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing with AQHA or the work that AQHA is doing? Yeah, absolutely. So we keep a lot of that information updated on our Facebook pages. Of course, AQHA has a main Facebook page, but we also have Facebook pages for AQHA International and the American Quarter Horse Foundation Hall of Fame and Museum. So if you're interested in keeping up on any of our foundation programs or any of our international adventures or the activities of our international affiliates, Facebook is a great place to do it. Super. Well, thank you very much for your time today, and uh, we look forward to all the exciting things ahead. Well, I really appreciate being asked to participate. Thanks for having me, and um, we're excited about the future. Good. I really enjoyed the opportunity to visit with Anna and and learn a lot more about what AQHA does, not you know, domestically and internationally. I really had no idea, sort of, the expanse of all of it. Um, and I was surprised for her to say that the most interesting that was an interesting question when I asked her what piece of tack. But when you really think about tack, um, there's so there are so many things out there, and it's hard to know what what becomes your favorite. Is it because of its function? Is it because of its sentimental value? Um, and so one of the things that Lindsay and I, we've we've gone through a lot together as far as learning about saddles and different prototypes of saddles and doing saddle fit, and we've had some really wonderful experiences and some really terrible experiences. Um, but we both actually met a guy named Kevin Howell at uh, World's Greatest Horseman event that we were at. And the poor guy, we sort of ambushed him because we we were ready for a different saddle and we had a whole lot of opinions <laughs> about things. And one of the great things is that from that point on, Kevin has become a really trusted resource for us to take the guessing game out of what products we need and why. So we'd like to welcome Kevin from the Elite Collection on to help us answer some questions about, about TAC. But good morning, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Morning, Tara. How are you today? That's quite the build-up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, it, it it's true. And Lindsay's on here, too. She might be on mute. I don't know. Lindsay, no, I'm here. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Good morning, Lindsay. Good to hear from you. Nice Good. to hear from you also. So tell us a little bit about your background, Kevin. Did you grow up with horses? What do you do with horses? Like what, how did you end up where you are today in this profession? Well, uh, I think kind of being in the wrong place at the wrong time is a good answer, but, uh, I did grow up with horses a little bit, grew up with more on the ranching side where horses were kind of considered more of a tool. Uh, really had didn't have a lot of interest in, in horses because we used them so much for, for work that that kind of <laughs> was, I wanted to get as far away from that as I could. And then went to college, uh, tried to play baseball a little bit, ended up back in the horse world and worked in horse show management actually for a while, uh, before taking a job for, for Echo brand and, uh, working with classic equine and their great brands there. Um, through the last couple of years, kind of transitioned into my own deal. Um, just trying to kind of, basically run my own business, but promote some really, really great brands. And, um, ultimately just trying to, to, uh, to make a living and stay in the horse world. And I've been very blessed to, to be able to do that and, and make a living in this world. So that's kind of the ultimate goal is kind of feels like play every day. Cause you're, you're making a living in this industry where, where you're very blessed to do that when it's just a hobby for a lot of other people. So that's kind of, kind of where we're at. 
So one of the things that uh, when we've met Kevin at different shows and we would come up and we'd either forget something or we'd have a question about something. And so Kevin would have like three types of boots in his, in his uh, booth. And so I would say, Hey, I need a pair of boots. I forgot mine or, Oh, we need another pair. And I said, which one should I get? And that was one of the things that really helped us so much is that you would tell us, give us information about what products have certain qualities that we were looking for. And you got to know us and you got to know the product and then you would help guide us where we needed to go. So we thought we'd try to reenact a little bit of that on today's show, Kevin, (laughs) and just ask you some questions. Um, For example, what, what are the four things that somebody should look for when they're going to purchase a Western saddle? So regardless of brand, regardless of discipline, I mean, maybe you might have to go a little into discipline, but what are the four things that we should look for to know that we're getting the kind of quality that you would recommend? Sure. Ultimately, I think uh, essentially what's going to catch most people's eye is when they walk into a booth that the saddle is visually appealing to them. And that's definitely something that's important, uh, especially in our world with the performance world where we're, we want to look good, we want to feel good, we want to show good. But, you know, sometimes, as they say, beauty is only skin deep. So for me, when you really start talking about saddles, it all starts at the foundation, just like with the house or any other structure. You kind of want to know what's going on with the tree. Uh, just kind of that's going to be what ultimately is kind of making the contact with the horse's back and the fit kind of like you talked to kind of leading into this. I mean, the fit is ultimately to me, the most important thing with the beauty only being skin deep, if it doesn't fit the horse and it, and it doesn't allow that horse to perform at the top of his game. I mean, that's, that's kind of null and void to me. Uh, so I'd really kind of start with that tree. Uh, the, how it's constructed, where it's constructed comes into play. Uh, for me, I want to see something that's handmade, something that has a lot of time into it, a lot of build build quality there. You're going to be able to kind of tell that just from the, the leather and the feel of the saddle. And then the next probably where a lot of people might start here to me is kind of secondary to that fit is just how it fits for you. Uh, one of the biggest things that people come into the booth and they start looking at saddles and they, they want to say, well, I'm a 16 and, or I'm a 16 and a half, or I know I'm a 15 and a half. Well, yeah, I've been shopping with my wife for shoes before, and I've never seen her walk into a store and say, I'm an eight and walk out with the shoe without trying it on. <laughs> so it's a little <laughs> bit that same thing with, with a saddle, you know, you're never going to be that exact same seat size in every saddle that you ride. And there's a lot of reasons for that, obviously, like you kind of alluded to with discipline. If you go from one discipline to the other, the way in that position that that saddle fits you is going to have a lot to do with the seat size. If you take a flat seated cutter, for instance, you're going to be sitting in a lot larger seat or a lot shorter seat there to achieve a tight fit or when more of our performance saddles with the rise in the front and a lot of that security, that can sometimes allow you to go a little bigger in a seat. So just kind of having that that open-minded and that ability to walk in and, and kind of see what truly fits you there can actually do a lot and benefit you down the road when you get it on the horse and actually get into the performance arena. I think that's so, <laughs> Yeah. What about like one of the things that I learned from you is we walked in and uh, you told me about the seat and I probably using the wrong word now, but like the, where the leather goes over the seat and you, you went and you flicked our saddle, like you flicked the leather on the, on the left side. And I was like, what is he doing? And, and you told us a little bit about like where you can look for different types of quality of leather or thickness of leather. So can you give us like a tip on 
how to look for the right kind of leather? Well, it is. I mean, it, it's going to have a feel to it. Uh, it's maybe a little bit of a, I don't know, it, the more of them you're around, the more of them you see after they've been ridden a long time. You know, it, it's, a, it's a lot of, like, that particular saddle that you're talking about, I believe we were in Vegas at the Stallion Stakes, and that saddle's got a few miles on it. Well, after you start to see those saddles wear and you see, you know, kind of truly what it is and they're really broken in, uh, you can kind of see some things about the leather. In that particular situation, we were looking at the seat jockey there on the side, and, and uh, when you construct the saddle, which I'm not a saddle maker by any means, but when you construct the saddle, all saddle makers will tell you that specific parts a saddle the seat jockey or a fender or whatever it might be is cut from a t- particular point or a particular location in a side of leather uh, there's particular pieces of leather that achieve that job better than others and in that situation we were looking kind of at that thickness and what you'll see on a lot of the the more custom saddles maybe you know made by one specific person start to finish a lot of the really really fine custom saddles as you'll you'll notice that the, the seat jockey will typically be a little bit thicker on that side the reason for that is like i showed you the first thing you do is throw that stirrup up over the horn when you're cinching the saddle up and there's just a lot more wear and tear on that side so there's just a few little things like that that may not mean much in the long run but there's something that can kind of tell you something a little bit about the build quality i mean other things that play into that are just the stitching and how it how it lines up and some of that stuff that you say in, in the long term I mean, it is going to make a difference, but it's not something that you would notice or necessarily think about, but it's just like buying a luxury car over a, over a Honda Civic. I mean, there's going to be some things there quality-wise and feel-wise and function-wise that are, that are just a little bit better that warrant the, you know, maybe the heftier price tag or, or give you a reason for paying a little bit more for that product, so... Yeah, that's one thing I really appreciate is learning things like that. Help me know if I'm going to go buy a used saddle, things like that to look for. And then also if I'm going to buy a new saddle, I feel like it helps me weigh weigh the pros and cons of price versus what I get. So, you know, sometimes I might want to save the money and I'm willing to sacrifice certain things knowing what our needs are, or I'm going to go, no, I'd like to spend more because those things are important and I can only get it in a certain way in a certain way. So I really appreciate learning those things because it helps me at all different price points and situations. Right. Yeah. And I think that's important that you kind of touched on that there, that if you are in the market for buying a saddle, I mean, it's important to kind of list out maybe in your mind or out on a piece of paper, kind of what you are looking for in a saddle, what is important to you. And there are lots of different price points of saddles out there. It's a lot of different brands, um, but it's kind of the thing is, you know, you can you can get to A to B and a Ford pickup the same way you can in a Porsche, but it's just, you know, there's something about owning that Porsche. So there is some of that stuff that, you know, it's 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 what's important to you and what works for you budget-wise and, and function-wise, but you definitely, regardless of what you're doing, you want to get the most bang for your buck and, and know that you're buying a quality product and something that essentially to me always works back to benefiting the horse first and and then allowing you to com- compete and do your job and if that horse isn't comfortable and, and able to compete it affects both of you so that's that's the most important underlying thing for me and taking that theme on to sports boots for your horses what are the qualities and the and the function of the boot and the material and how it works that you look for you know, one of the biggest things that I look for personally, and I mean, it definitely has to do with my background with working with classic, 
um, loaded with useless information maybe about a lot of that product, but it is uh, one, the most important thing for me is working with Classic and knowing that they're going to absolutely stand behind their product. Um, if I have an issue with one, one of my customers has an issue with one, they're going to stand behind it. The reason really for that is that that's a company that you can't really walk through that building and find somebody that doesn't at one point or another throw a leg over a horse and isn't passionate about the horse. And because of that, they're always trying to new innovative products or trying to make the products that they have that, I mean, maybe you would sit back and say, yeah, it's working, it's fine, but there's always a drive to make that better. So that's, to me, is kind of the foundation of what makes a lot of their products great. Uh, but when you go to look at those products, yeah, definitely looking at the raw material that it's made out of. But one of the biggest things really is looking at just like the saddle. What's your discipline? What are you looking to accomplish? But what are you looking to accomplish with that boot? I mean, there's a top of the line protection. There's an in-between. There's this or that. But they're ultimately, the quality of material that's made out of uh, goes right into the durability of the boot and how well it benefits your horse's leg. Um, and looking at that and kind of doing your research on on this or that and what you're trying to to particularly accomplish with the discipline that you're doing is going to be the same thing kind of with the saddle, making that mental list of, of what you want, what you like to see in a boot. Boots really come down to a lot of personal preference and what we like to see and what we like to put on a horse's leg. And that to me is, is important. If you're comfortable using the boot and you're comfortable putting it on and putting it on correctly, then it's going to do its job. Uh, that sometimes is a little bit of the issue with the boots is, is getting something you're maybe not quite as comfortable with and you don't maybe do as good a job putting it on and it's compromising, you know, the, the ability of the boot to do its job. So, but to me, it just kind of comes back to that same thing of, of good quality products and knowing that you have somebody or a company that's going to stand behind it. Okay. Now what about saddle pads? Like what kind of, you've helped us figure out a good saddle that fits our horse and a saddle that fits Trevor. But then when it came time to using a pad, we have Trevor who's like, Hey, I just, I just need a good using pad. I don't need anything fancy. It's like pulling teeth to get him to use a show pad. Uh, and then we, we finally said, okay, Trevor, we've got to do a show pad. And you, one of the great things is Kevin said, well, here's a good deal, a good in between. Here's a pad that Trevor can use as a show pad or as a regular pad. And then here's how you could put a show pad over it. So Kevin really helped us, uh, <laughs> avoid marriage counseling, I guess, when it came to, came to saddle pads. But what, um, what would you, what are the things you look for in a saddle pad? What kind of quality things do you look for in a saddle pad? So, yeah, I mean, saddle pads are really, I think, sometimes a little bit of an unsung hero to the saddle fit side of things. And one thing that just ultimately sounds like a like a pretty good sales pitch, and it's not a bad one, but one of the best things to have in a saddle pad is a lot of saddle pads or a few different options because that is going to aid you a lot in the fit and from one horse to the other with one particular saddle. And we have to remember that a saddle is not going to change the horses, so that kind of the marriage between the two, and that's where the saddle pad comes into play. To me, uh, I want to put the best quality material that I can on a horse's back. And that's something that, you know, I know without a doubt that Classic's going to have that. Um, they're going to they're gonna find that raw material. They have the best raw material out there. Also, those pads are made in the USA. They're made right there in Granbury, Texas, and, and there's something to be said for that. But in that pad line, I mean, it's something, too, I think that people maybe get a little bit tied up in, in a price point when they maybe there's better protection out there. Uh, one of the pads I know we talked a lot about, and 
one that I highly recommend is my bestseller is the zone pad. And it comes in many different options there, but it's to me, if you look at the, the stuff that's on the market, not only with classic, but anybody else, there's just nothing that comes close to, to the technology that's presented in that pad. And, uh, it's maybe in a lot of situations more than you need, but I'd rather have much more than I need protection wise, not necessarily fitness, but protection wise than, than not have it, <laughs> you know? So that's, that's a pad, uh, to me, that's, that's really been successful for us. And, uh, it kind of, any saddle pad in their line, I mean, they're all material and the construction and the, the quality and the way they stand behind the product, you can't go wrong, but that pad really stands apart for me as one for our industry that does a great job. So that's that's kind of where I go with it is not to just go spend as much money as you can on a pad, but definitely look at the, the construction and uh, the quality and material that's going into it. And Kevin, you're usually the guy that everybody comes to when they've forgotten something or if they're in an emergency and something <laughs> broke right before they get ready to go into a show pen. Do you, do you have some like handy quick fix tips that, you have just learned through being in your trade of like, you know, if you've lost a screw, a Chicago screw in your bridle or your latigo breaks in your cinch <laughs> or other than just like coming to you, obviously, to get a new product. Do you have anything that you've used in a pinch that's been really safe and as a handy tip? Oh, man, that's a good one. I don't I don't can't can't think of anything that comes to mind. I do like being, you know, the, the go to when people need stuff, unfortunately. That, that does happen, and it definitely helps pay our fuel bill, so I can't be too upset about that. Um, one thing I really think that a lot of people, I see a lot of panic in people's eyes from time to time when they come in, and I know that it's, <laughs> I'm kind of guilty of this, too. I kind of have my game face on, and, I, and something changes, and it can really throw me off my game. But something that, that I've really learned maybe more than just a helpful tip is just to kind of be fluid and, and, and know that it's not the end of the world if something like that happens. And, um, I think one of the things that comes to mind is kind of maybe something everybody knows, but I don't put those Chicago screws on anything without something in them, maybe a little Loctite or for you ladies, maybe a little nail polish or something like that. And it's one of those tricks, but that's something that's always kind of a, <laughs> in the back of my mind. And one of my biggest pet peeves and maybe a fear is to, to see one of those conchos loose. So personally, that's something that, that I like to do maybe a little proactively ahead of time. And I never take a bridle on and off and switch that stuff around without, without doing that. And I think that's something, probably one of the biggest things that walks into the booth is, do you have a Chicago screw? <laughs> and, and that's something that, you know, to me, you can, you can kind of help yourself out a little bit ahead of time and, and not have that problem and hopefully keep yourself on, on your game and, and ready to compete and not, not be running in wild eyed looking for me. <laughs> Glad to see you, but not like that. <laughs> Well, I sure has never been in that situation where I was wild-eyed and in a hurry to get something <laughs> replaced before I needed yeah. to get in the pin. So, um, right. and I'm then sure. like, <laughs> right. Uh, like you said, is that you take a lot of preparations before you even get there to check that equipment. Do you have like a standard operating procedure that you use that you go through <laughs> and you check your equipment before you go, just like you would check the tire pressure in your tires before you went on a long road trip or made sure that you had tire changing equipment with you like do you have a backup set of equipment you always have readily available and what are the what are the if you have a system before you go how what does that system look like when you go through and check your tack right yeah and i, I mean i think that's very important but to me i mean it's just like you said i, I do a little more 
checking of the tire pressure nowadays than I do anything else because I'm on the road at the shows. But, it, you know, with the tack, I really think that that's something that, that you need to be proactive and, and, and be paying attention to day to day as you use it because typically with an issue, if there's something that comes up where uh, one of the biggest things we see that people really overlook, which is somewhat scary is latigos and just not replacing those and, and paying attention to the wear on those. And that's something that, you know, when it comes down to it, having a failure in that area is something that it, it really warrants the 50 or 60 bucks it takes you to, to put a new latigo on and it's cheap insurance. But to me, it's almost more of a thing that I like to do that day to day as I'm using that equipment. There's very rarely something that wears out or breaks that's something that just happens overnight and there are those situations but there's something there that's telling you that and and you know we talk about spending this money on high quality tack and saddles and, and pads and boots even and and that's something that you want to me in my mind when i spend my hard-earned dollar on that stuff i want to be proactive and take care of it and hopefully avoid a lot of those situations before they ever become a situation and ultimately prevent them or be ahead of them before it happens at a show. <laughs> so I think just day to day when you're attacking your horse and doing that at home is really the best thing you can do. Yeah. That awareness is super great advice to just constantly be using those good habits every day. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that comes more from a work background too, is that, I mean, you know, we, in the show world, I mean, we, we definitely, we rely on our tools and we need our tools to do what we're doing. But when you come from a little bit more of a work background with horses, I mean, it's, it's like blowing an engine in your truck. I mean, it's a bad deal. You know? So it's, it puts you out of work, <laughs> just in, you know, a situation where you can't get in the show pen. So that was something that I was always taught growing up, whether it was with horses or equipment or anything is that, you know, you take care of your equipment and it takes care of you. And I think that's just the best the best answer for that question is taking care of it every day. So, so Kevin, we, Oh, sorry, Lindsay. Oh, I was just saying that's really great advice to just keep that in your mind every day when you're with your horse. Yeah. So yeah, Kevin, we asked our like last guest. Yeah, go ahead there. <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that. I was just saying we asked our last guest, uh, what her favorite piece of tack was and you're kind of in a different position to answer that one. So do you have a favorite piece of tack? <laughs> Uh, you know, I've got a lot of tack lying around <laughs> and, uh, a whole shop full of it actually, and a trailer full of it and, and all of that. But you know, there are some things to me that I'm maybe kind of a sentimental guy with some of that stuff. And, and I actually have a pair of spur straps that are made by Joey Jemison. It's a brand that we sell and, and they're actually a present for my wife, but it was really to me, like I have a lot of custom stuff now, but that was one of the custom first real nice custom pieces I ever really had. And it was a gift, which certainly means a lot to me, but, uh, kind of have a thing for leather and the spur straps and that kind of stuff. And that was just something that really meant a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I kind of think back to that every time I put my boots on and I like her answer of, you know, it's the boots and we really don't think about that, but that's step number one. That's what gets us out the door. So I think that's a great answer, but the spur straps to me are just something that I've always been proud of and, and glad to own since then. I've got a lot of other stuff, really cool stuff and had the opportunity to, to, to own some really, really great things, but that's something that always just means more to me because of where it came from. So, yeah. And do you have a favorite place to ride? Uh, roping arena. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, <laughs> my family 
from Western Oklahoma and we have a ranch there and I don't get to go out there a whole lot, but it is a different country and probably not what a lot of people would think of when they think of Oklahoma, but I really like to ride there just because of the, the family history and, and, uh, you know, I don't get to do it a lot. So when I do that's special. Yeah. Well, Kevin, we really appreciate you coming on and joining us today and sharing with us we know you carry a lot of, of different brands, but it's so nice when you find somebody that you can trust, whether it's with your horses or with a podcast that you want to listen to or, you know, a vet. But for us, it's we finally found someone that we can really trust when it comes to tack and knowing that they're going to put our horses needs first and they're going to get to know our needs and combine them. So, um, that's a whole lot different sometimes than if you go to a tack store or if you just buy on Amazon. Um, so it's really it's really great to have you as a resource. So where could people find out more about you and, and what you do? Yeah, I really appreciate the kind words. That's really what we strive for is, I mean, first and foremost, we want to provide the best customer service we can, and we want to back that up with the absolute best products that we can put in our booth. So that's ultimately my business model and my game plan, right or wrong. That's what we're going to do. Currently we're, we're, uh, our website is under construction uh, that'll be at elite-collection.com. So that should be up and running sometime within the next week or two. Uh, check us out on Facebook. And we do have a Facebook that we're pretty active on right now. Uh, we'll be doing some giveaways and some stuff to kind of promote that and get that going. Um, my wife's kind of in charge of the Instagram. Not really my thing, but we're there too. And hopefully, I really hope that we run into you and you come and see us at a show because that's really where we want to be. We want to be in front of you guys. We want to be there for you. When you need us, maybe when you have a wild look in your eye or just when you need some advice about some pack or whatever, just, you know, hang out and, and enjoy the company. But we want to see you there. Uh, we really enjoy going to the shows. We really enjoy supporting that aspect of it. And we hope that that, that, that continues to be a service that we can provide to everybody. So. Great. Well, thank you very much. And hope you guys, hope you get a little chance to get out in the roping arena soon. Yeah, hopefully. Thank you very much for having me on, Terry. It's great. I really appreciate it. Love what you're doing. It's great to hear you, Lindsay. I hope to see you somewhere soon. So. That sounds great. <laughs> Thanks for all the handy tips today. Great catching up with you. <laughs> you bet. Thank you. Well, guys, that was a terrific interview. Now I have to ask you the two questions. So, Tara, favorite piece <laughs> of tack? Uh... It's actually a headstall that I had made for Trevor. <laughs> and he he uses it. He uses it on his bridal horses. So yeah. So your got... favorite piece of tack is his. Yeah. But that's kind of the way it is, Glenn. So <laughs> my favorite my favorite horse is his. My favorite saddle is his. <laughs> and vice versa. Tara will buy something for her and Trevor she'll have it in her office like waiting to use it and he just comes in and pesters her every day like can i use this can i use this can i have it can i have it can i use it (laughs) goes both ways all right Lindsay, what's yours um i would have to go with a similar question or similar answer to what kevin said is tara helped me get my very first pair of custom shotgun shafts and I do really like them a lot. It's just, they keep me warm. I think I saw warm. some pictures of you in them uh, on your Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. I just, I really like them. And that's the first kind of real custom thing that I've ever spent on myself. And I just love that she helped me pick them out. And they're great. So, Lindsay, where do you, what's your favorite place to ride? I mean, you live in Colorado. My God. But, uh, you know, <laughs> there's like a million trails. Yeah. Um 
So I, I love riding out on people's ranches. Uh, so that's really fun. I always like going with Tara and her family to their, their ranch where they ride out at what they call is the cap rock. I really like that. And then, um, another friend of mine who you guys previously had on the show last year, Sarah Bishop, I really enjoy riding out with her on her ranches, um, up in North, Northeastern Colorado, where we get to help their family gather horses and see all that. That's, that's a really, really fun time. Tara, your backyard. Is that your answer? Yeah, my backyard, <laughs> the cap. And then we love to go to the mountains in Rio. So and camp up there and trail ride up there. So those are probably my two favorites. Yeah, Tara yeah, lives in uh, New Mexico, and pretty much all of New Mexico is her backyard. So, yeah, since, uh, <laughs> That's because our population isn't that high. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. <laughs> There's like 10 people that live there, you and your family. So, <laughs> <laughs> so as a matter of fact, the American Horse Publications Conference starts this week. Uh, and I'm not going this year, but it's in New Mexico. Um, ride there. <laughs> it's in Amarillo, I think. Uh, it's up that way. So, so they're going to all the journalists for the horse world are going to be descending on your home state uh, come the end of the week. Well, we are uh, we're going to wrap it up here today. I wanted to thank the auditors. We put a post up asking for some input of the types of things they would like to hear on the Western episode, and there were sixty three comments. So I don't know if you got a chance to look through them all, but there was lots of terrific ideas there. Um, yeah, some super ideas. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. If you want to become an auditor, you just head on over to horsesinthemorning.com, click on the auditor banner on the homepage there, and for as little as a dollar a month, you two can join the uh, almost 400 auditors now in the auditor room. That's a place, it's like our super focus group, and it's also become a family. They're all chatting with each other about the most intimate things that you could imagine. Um, some of them, I have to close my eyes. So... Uh, but they, we also <laughs> get a chance to ask questions about the shows and about what people want to hear about, and we do that in the auditor room. So if you want to become an auditor, just uh, head over and do that. Lindsay, do you have a where, where can people follow you? Oh, that's a good question. I don't really have anything at the moment set up where I can be followed, but I, I it sounds like I'll need to be getting on that. Okay. I know I found you on Facebook. She's there. She is there on Facebook. But then, uh, Tara, you guys, you do have a way to be followed. Yeah, you can find us. Oh, Tara, hold on. You have, to, you have to unplug. You didn't make it. You almost made it to the end of the show this time. Almost. I, know, I heard this, like, and I thought, I should replug. And then... <laughs> Uh, we're at carterrangehorse.com and we're on Facebook and Instagram also. Anything coming up? Uh, clinic wise, uh, otherwise? We've got a clinic in Utah the first part of July, uh, but we are actually hitting the road very soon for the Derby in Paso Robles, California, and then to Oklahoma two short days afterward uh, for the Versatility World Show. What's so, it take? How many days does it take you to get to Oklahoma? Two or three? All two of the ones that we have. So. <laughs> <laughs> quickly, the, the answer is quickly. So, California is that a three day from New Mexico, or is that two days? It's two days. We're yeah. really, we're really two days from from either side, from either coast. Yeah, long days though, long drive. Uh, well, we we wish you luck with that, and then of course we'll see you. Uh, Tara is here on the uh, last Tuesday, the fourth Tuesday of the month. You can find all of her past episodes by going to horsesinthemorning.com, scrolling down in the middle of the page, and you're going to see the little Western banner there. Click on that, and it'll take you to all the past episodes that we've done here on Horses in the Morning. Lindsay, thank you so much for sitting in today. 
Yes, thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Tomorrow, Jamie will be back, and uh, we'll be doing a Wednesday show. And then Thursday is the Horse Husbands episode. So uh, we're going to be having some fun with that, Joseph and I, on Thursday. And then Friday, Really Bad Ads is back. And don't forget, this month's prize is a box of crap from my closet. So that's because I can do it. It's the most coveted prize we have. I can contribute to prizes if you need some. Okay, good. Yeah. Oh, do you? You have a lot of crap in your closet too? Uh, yeah. <laughs> good. We'll and I've got it. lots of really, I've got some good tack too, like just sitting around. So I know. I don't know. I'm serious. You, I'm really serious. We, we called it box here. of crap, but it's usually good stuff that, you know, companies yeah. have sent us that I just don't use. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, next month it's going to be Tara's box of crap. And we'll see how you make out with that. Uh, we we can't do Jamie because the cat's litter box is in the closet, so we don't use hers. Uh, she never is allowed to give away a box of crap because it would be literal. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Talk Thank to you, you soon. Bye, Bye, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye.